You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey guys, welcome to The Devoted Podcast. So glad you guys are back here with me. This is the fun part. I've heard from several of you guys lately, either by email or I run into you at church. And you'll come up to me and go, oh, I was just I was just driving all day today and I just listened to you all day. I feel like we've been together and I just love that. It just makes me smile. I know I can't see you guys out there, but I just feel like we get to know each other somehow on these things so that when I do have those personal connections, I feel like, hey, we're on the same page. We've been talking about this stuff and I and I love that. I have to say, I also kind of cringe sometimes when some of you guys are like, oh, I just binge listened to this podcast and you know I've been listening to you for like eight hours and I just kind of die. Because you guys are great. You're so kind. And you're like, Amy, no, you're not the most annoying person in the world to listen to. But have you guys ever had to listen to your voice back? It is painful. It's the worst. This part's the fun part. Like, I feel like after I've prayed about and prepped through these episodes to, for what the Lord has for us, I mean, that's the super exciting part. Then when I have to go back and edit and, you know, listen back and make sure, you know, there aren't crazy sounds in the background and all that stuff, I have to listen to myself in the background. And guys, it's just, it's just the worst. So that part is not the good part. But here is what the good part is. And I I'm pumped about what we're going to talk about today because it's kind of my favorite thing to look at. It's it's We're going to have a, a smidge of a historical context, then a whole bunch of scripture with a uh, slap of giant practicality in here too. So it's kind of all of the things that I love so much. So, But what we're going to do is we're going to kind of deconstruct quiet time. Could you guys see the air quotes that I put around that? Because we're going to even talk about that phrase, quiet time. Sometimes we call it quiet time or devotions or whatever you want to call it. We're talking about the regular time that you set aside to commune, if I can give you guys a real churchy sounding word, commune with the Lord. And I tell you guys that definition because here's the thing. Some of you guys might be brand new Christians. You're like, what are you guys even, what are Christians even talking about with this quiet time thing? So hang with us in this discussion because for some of these Some of y'all out there have been Christians for years and years, and you have kind of established patterns to what your quote unquote quiet time looks like that I want us to kind of take a look, like a sharp look at that. And and let's see where we're at with some of those things. But I also use the word just now of saying deconstruct quiet time. And I kind of don't, well, I actually really just don't like that word. It's, um, It's sort of one that's used right now a bunch because typically it's kind of used by folks that are wanting to dismantle their faith. And usually they end up winding back to a spot that is just their faith in Jesus is not where it should be. And they don't believe in the historical Christianity anymore. And it's and it's sad. It's sad. It's really common too, guys. This deconstruct thing has become kind of a thing to do. Like, have you deconstructed your faith? So I think there's a lot of dangerous elements in that. But I almost wonder if one of the reasons for all of this massive deconstruction might be rooted in what we are going to talk about today in what quiet time looks like and and all of this stuff. So let's see where we where we go with this. But did you ever see the show? Me and my kids, we would um, record this one, DVR it, and watch a whole season at a time of, you know, Chip and Joanna, right? And the Fixer Upper, when that show was on, loved that show. 
And, you know, it was always fun to see how they, they'd pick these homes that were, eh, they were okay, you know, but I'm not somebody who has a great vision for, I don't know, how reconstruction should be. And, oh, this this wall could go out and you could bring this in and this island could go here. I, I just, I'm not really good at that kind of stuff. So it was always amazing to me, you know, when Joanna would come in and look at these houses that I, I would go, wow, what are you going to do with that? And man, she would have a vision for it, right? She would like take out walls and put in different lights and man, massive reconstruction sometimes. Move this staircase, add this railing, do all kinds of things. And that was always great and fun to watch. But my kids' favorite part would be Demo Day. And Demo Day, as you know, if you've ever watched the show, is the day where Chip comes in and he gets to just take a sledgehammer and just start smashing stuff. Because sometimes you got to do all the smashing of stuff. You got to take down some walls. You got to rip out some really ugly orange shag carpet before you can lay down the things that end up making this reconstruction of this beautiful and airy home that just has amazing decor in all of the elements of a place that you just want to, you know, curl up on that couch or that reading nook that she just created and read and just spend your day. I mean, it's just dreamy, right? But that demo day comes first. There is sometimes some walls that need to be taken out. So I want to do this a little bit with what we call quiet time. I want to do just a little bit of demo day. But before we do that, let's talk about what what am I talking about quiet time? Okay, so I, I talked about earlier, you know, if you're brand new or maybe you've been a Christian for a whole two months, it might sound like a really kind of weird Christian thing that they're like, oh, in my time with the Lord or in my quiet time or my devotions kind of thing. You might look at us weird. But this is something that's a regular practice and discipline, really, of our Christian walk. But there's some things that it isn't also. And right now, what often we see as quiet time can look like a really cool Instagram post, right? And it's got your coffee and your candle and your fire and your Bible, and it's perfect. It's beautiful. And sometimes in our brains, we're like, oh, that is quiet time. That's what it should look like. So maybe that's what we think it is. Maybe sometimes we think that quiet time is just something that we check off. Is it something that it's on my list? You know, guys, I love my Bible reading plans. So is quiet time to you, is it just a box that needs to be checked on your piece of paper or your app or whatever it is that you're using in order to, hey, I, yep, I, I spent time with the Lord today. Here's some questions for you. Do you dread it? You're like, ugh. I didn't do it today. I better get in there and I better I better read that passage real quick. Or do you long for it? Is it something you're so excited to get into? But I, I, the reason I kind of throw some of those things out is because I want us to sort of really honestly assess where you're at. You know, think of this as the consult portion of Fixer Upper. The first step in coming in and seeing is where your changes need to be made. So I'm going to kind of challenge you to do this, you know, even maybe if you want to take it one step beyond just brainstorming through it, but maybe even write down what is your quiet time right now? What is your devotional time, Your the time where you are with the Lord? What does that look like? What do you love about it? What do you not like about it? And don't be afraid to write down things that you think that sound like they're not spiritual or something. Honestly assess what that time looks like. What purpose is it serving? Okay, here's the history portion, because I thought this was kind of interesting. Where did we get the term quiet time? You know, you don't see anywhere in scripture, 
quiet time. You don't see that phrase. That's that's not a thing. You don't see devotions in Scripture. That's not a thing. Those are things that creeped up in our Christian culture somewhere. So I'm not an expert on this. This is just a preliminary little research, little digging I did on this. But the first time that quiet time came up was back in the 1940s. It was an InterVarsity Press pamphlet that was talking th- about this, the, you know, defining it still similar to what we are talking about, the importance of a regular time communing with the Lord. And it took on this word, quiet time. Billy Graham, then, he kind of adopted it and would use that phrase. And so it kind of got a little bit more traction. Biblically, we know the model, even though the word is not used, is even from Jesus himself. Mark one thirty five says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed, Jesus, and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So that's going to be as close to a definition of what quiet time might look like and Jesus's model of that. So we have a couple things we could poke at in there that I that I think are valuable for us. But we're not we don't really see that phrase of quiet time. Prior to this or maybe it was maybe it was around the same time. They also would call this the morning watch. Before quiet time, they would call it morning watch. And I kind of I kind of like this term because the morning watch, there's some battle imagery here, you know, and you see in places in scripture where it would talk about the watchman on the wall. And but this idea of of vigilance even in it. And that battle terminology, this was kind of popular until about World War One. And then they started kind of ditching some of that battle imagery. Maybe, maybe they were just battle weary and and, and I get that. Maybe they were tired of everything being a battle these days. But I also kind of wonder if they lost something in changing that terminology, moving away from the morning watch and redefining what it will look like. I wonder if in so doing, we have kind of let our guard down and not taken up the mantle of prayer to the daily fight of our battles. You'll notice with all of these things, usually as we're talking in the context of what this quiet time or your devotional time will be, there was a priority on the early time in the morning and for prayer. Those two pieces, you see the early early morning and you see prayer. And some of y'all are just cringing, like we don't even want to talk about early morning. We'll get there in just a second. Let's focus on the prayer piece for a second, because we absolutely should pray without ceasing. You know, that's like, well, that's what 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us, to, to pray without ceasing throughout our day. We're supposed to have this just almost a, have a regular conversation with the Lord, praying about things when you're driving and when you're cooking and whatever it is you're doing, but keeping that attitude of prayer kind of going. And that's an amazing thing about prayer. I love that it, there's nothing that says that it has to be a certain set of words that you say, a certain circumstance or setting. Nope. It just says we can pray at all times, pray without ceasing. We often, though, see with prayer this that there's a posture associated with prayer. And there are a couple places in Scripture that talk about this, and, and it's actually not bow your head and close your eyes. It was so funny. My youngest actually asked me about this this week, and he's like, Mom, is it in the Bible that we're supposed to bow our heads and close our eyes? And it's not. But we did just talk about the fact that it actually was a really good idea to help us to not be distracted and to have good self-control, especially if you're little kids and you're trying to keep them from punching their brother during prayer time and stuff. Not that I know anything about this, but I'm just saying it's a good posture for that. Bow your head, close your eyes. Remember even folding your hands. That was specifically designed for boys. I have no doubt because they really have a tendency to want to just, you know, 
punch their brother that happens to be standing right next to them while they're praying. But there is in scripture this thing about the posture of prayer, and there's different postures. It might not be bowing your head and closing your eyes, but Mark 11.25 says, whenever you stand praying. That's an interesting one. Abraham's the same thing in Genesis 18.22. It says, Abraham remained standing before the Lord. But you see several postures there. They're standing, there can be kneeling, bowing, lifting our eyes to heaven, lying prostrate, raising your hands, several different ways with prayer as far as the posture goes. And I kind of, the re- I just thought this was interesting because the way in which we sit or posture ourselves for something actually has like a connection to our brains, even, even a biochemical reaction. There, I thought this was interesting. There was a scientist a researcher from Harvard, and she published a couple studies that showed the causal relationship between physical stances and then the biochemical reactions that happen. And one of them was like, you know, adopting a dominant, like a physical stance, for instance, it increases the levels of testosterone and decreases cortisol in as little as two minutes of doing that. And you stand for two minutes and it, and it has an actual biochemical change in your body. It's just interesting. Something as simple as standing, you know, hands on your hips or something can change what the hormonal balance is even in your body. So I think it says something about the posture that we might take with prayer. And I often, one of the things that I love about prayer for me personally is being in that place of humility. And I think that's biblical. Ephesians 3.14 talks about being on your knees. Genesis 24.26 has a reference being a head bowed. And, uh, you know, one of my favorites even, this is while this might not be super practical as you're driving your, around in your car, but Matthew 26.39 talks about being prostrate in, in prayer, that he fell on his face and prayed. I love those ones because I guess maybe taking again from that note on the biochemical reaction that it actually has, it actually... It promotes within my spirit an attitude of humility. I have a friend that she encouraged me one time that she was in sort of a season where she just felt like she wasn't really setting aside time to pray. So she just made a commitment. I want to say, I'd have to ask her, I want to say she even like threw this thing on her calendar, but she called it on her face prayer. And she set aside like five minutes, 15 minutes whatever it it was for her. And I did it in a little bit different way too. And she was like in her closet on her face prayer. And there's something to that, guys. And the closet, that's in scripture too. You know, when Jesus says, don't be like the Pharisee that stands out in the middle of everything and is like praying loudly with all your fancy words to impress other people. But, but, But go in your closet where just the Lord sees you. But it's a cool connection to the humility even that we wanna have to the Lord. Other postures, though, of prayer, we see hands lifted. 1 Timothy 2.8 talks about that. We see eyes open. John 17.1, it says, Jesus lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. And he speaking to the Father with eyes open towards heaven. So our posture of prayer, while I think it's, it's kind of something to actually think about, like how am I postured when I'm praying? Am I, you know, just going about my day, which I think you could make a biblical case for, because that could be anything. That's your First Thessalonians 5.17, praying without ceasing as you're going. But also perhaps this time of prayer that you are off by yourself. Maybe it is in your closet, in your face prayer time. 
that could be it too. But I like that connection of thinking about how we're praying and what that posture is giving in our prayer life. So that's a huge part of this quiet time, devotion, morning watch, this communing with the Lord, this time that we set apart is for sure prayer. So a couple other things we can say about this time. This I kind of am just liking morning watch for some reason. I really like that. But typically it's early. Okay, I mentioned that example earlier where it says rising early in the morning. It said in Mark one thirty five that Jesus got up early. But also Proverbs 8.17 says, I love them that love me and those who seek me early shall find me. I think of the idea of first fruits when I think about this idea of getting up early. And I think maybe it's focusing, it could just be a time of day. I think there is definitely something to that. But I also wonder if there isn't an element of what is your best time? And here's the thing where it's going to sound like I'm contradicting myself. Maybe maybe that isn't morning for you. Lots of people like to say, oh, I'm just not a morning person. Well, to be real, I'm not really a morning person either. I read a thing one time that said, I'm, I'm not a, what is it? I'm not a morning bird. I'm not a night owl. I'm an exhausted pigeon. You know, I think that's where I am. I actually do like to get up early in the morning. And I think I've just trained myself over the years that I just I just get up early. But would I say I'm a high-functioning individual at that time? Well, no. But it is a good time for me. And I think for me, it, it kind of represents that first fruits idea of giving the Lord what's first. But that could also for you be not the morning and giving him your best time. That could look different. But I do think giving the Lord the time that is best is something. And it's a priority thing, I think. And that for me, that's why I think morning gets all the press because it's first, right? It's the first thing in the morning. And maybe morning isn't your best, but it is the first. And you know that before you can hit the day running, you need that time with the Lord being in prayer. You need to do that first. So I think there's a little bit, I've heard people make cases in both ways, you know, where they're just like, I just can't, I have nothing in me in my tank first thing in the morning to be able to really focus. And that very well may be for some of you. But I actually think for some of us, it's just a discipline and a growing and a stretching to commit the first part of that day to the Lord. During the 50s and 60s, with you know the phrase of quiet time and all of those things, there was definitely a connection to intercessory prayer that became really mainstream in Christian circles as you know Christians would pray and, and they were sending up missionaries. You see this a lot in Elizabeth Elliot's writings and the things about that time. She would even receive all these letters from these dear women that would be praying for her, like hardcore intercessory prayer for the people that had been sent out to preach the gospel, really taking the Great Commission so seriously. And I, I do wonder sometimes how much we've lost of that too. But particularly during that time, that was very common to have groups, you know, being involved in inter intercessory prayer, but definitely individual praying and interceding for the saints that had been sent out in all the world. And you'll read stories if you read Elizabeth Elliot of letters she would receive from people that were really involved in this kind of prayer for her and her ministry. And they're really touching to see the things that they were doing. But during the 50s and 60s, there was that was certainly a big part of that time, that quiet time with the Lord was really interceding for others. And something I just kind of stopped and paused about that was intercessory prayer, interceding for other people is very outwardly focused. And I think this hints at maybe 
something that's a little bit unsightly section of our house, if you will. We can go back to our fixer-upper house. And this is a part where I sort of see some 70s really tacky wood paneling and orange shag carpet that really needs to go in this demo day example. Because I think there's some traps that we fall into when it comes to what our quiet time looks like, what our devotional time would get in. So here's a couple. One of them, I think, is this idea of saying, well, what do I get out of my time in the morning with the Lord? What's in it for me? Now, you guys might hear that and you might be going, well, some of you might be saying, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with thinking, what is it that I'm going to get out of this that I can apply to my life? Hang with me. Or you might be saying, well, that kind of sounds terrible. Why would I just say, what do I get out of this for me? And so maybe you think that saying that sounds bad, but do we do that? Do we approach the word and go, well, what am I going to get out of this today? Do we walk away from that time and go, oh, I didn't really get anything out of that passage? There's a couple things with that. I think one of them is somehow there, I think there's a trap of an emotional response. And man, I think we need to flee the emotional response of our quiet time as much as we possibly can. And and not to be too harsh, guys, but honestly, guys, we really should just not care how it makes us feel. And by the it, I'm meaning the word of God. It's just if whether we get a warm, fuzzy feeling from that time, whether we read in scripture something that illuminated a change we need to make feelings. It's just, this is just way overplayed. It's overplayed in our culture. It's overplayed in parenting. It's overplayed in women for sure. But how does it make me feel? We have just way trumped up this idea on how things make us feel. And then that resonates in my spirit. And so therefore, now I do think there are times where you will have an emotional response, but that can't be your aim. You need to not be going to your quiet time or you're reading your scripture to being how did this make me feel? That can't be the objective. You may get something that there may be an emotional response of that. Often there are conviction. Goodness, if you're convicted of a sin when you're reading something, that's going to have an emotional response. But just make sure that's like, that's not the purpose of what we were looking for. We're looking for God's word. We're looking for who he is in his scripture. We're not looking for something that's going to give us a certain feeling. But beyond even the feelings, we can get this idea of whether or not we're seeking time with the Lord to get an answer to our problems or the what will I get out of it mentality. It's again, it's it's are you being outward focused on this? You know, are we interceding on behalf of others and discovering who God is in his word? It's just not about us. I know we've talked about this in other times and I probably sound like a broken record, but this is our idol of me culture. And Guys, even when we aren't intentionally trying to do this, it's amazing how quickly our devotional time turns into a, what is this doing for me? And maybe even in that moment, that isn't what we're saying, but maybe it's an hour later when you're like, have no idea what you even read. Well, I didn't really get anything out of that. Again, that's often because underneath all of that is the question of, well, what is in this for me? It's a trap. It's a way to really derail this time from what it should be. But I should clarify too, because it's not meaning that you won't be in your time with the Lord and reading a passage somewhere and get some direction that really speaks into a decision maybe that you're making. I absolutely think that happens. It's I mean, man, the Lord will direct us as we 
study to know who he is and his design, there's going to be things in scripture that absolutely help you fill in that blank about maybe even a decision that is just about you. I absolutely think that's a that's a reality. And I think it's awesome. I just think I'd go back to what I'd said about the feelings part. We need to not make that our aim. It's changing, I guess, the order of it. It's making those things outcomes, but not the objective of the time. And here's why I think this is important, because if you're approaching your devotional time, your quiet time with a, you know, what am I going to get out of this or what's in it for me kind of thing, what happens when you come away from a day or a week or a month of your time with the Lord and you just don't feel like you've gotten anything out of it? You could, you could in your mind, it could be losing its value to you. But this is where I think some math and just not the emotion comes in, the bank account idea, where what we're doing with our time and our study with the word is we're making deposits into a savings account so that you can draw on that balance down the road when you need that word to meditate on it. That's what we're doing. You may not need that word in Lamentations right now, but boy, six months down the road, a year, you might come back and go, oh, His mercies are new every morning, and you might need that in that moment, but you might not have needed that six months ago. And it just is, you're putting those things in that savings account that you can just draw on that down the road. Another trap with our quiet time and our devotional time is distractions. This is huge, right? And you need to, first, you need to be able to spot who the enemy is on this one because the enemy absolutely does not want you studying the word. He doesn't want you spending time with the Lord. He does not want you in any way growing in your relationship with the Lord. And that's what this part of this is about too, right guys? This is about knowing who God is being a friend of God. Well, it's easy to say someone that, you know, we live with, of course we want to spend time with them and we want to hear the things they have to say and we value the things they say and all of those things. But then when we try to put the Lord in that picture, then all of a sudden we're like, but if we're not reading his word, we're, we're not listening to what he has to say to us. So there, it's, it's a very shallow relationship if we're not really spending that time. So just know that from the onset, that the enemy who hates you and hates me does not want us to spend our time like this. So we need to be honest about the tactics that he's going to use to, to hinder that and prevent us from doing that. And that's just distractions in all kinds of ways. Things that you're, you just got to remember that you should see that distraction is just absolutely from the enemy himself. But be honest about the things that hinder you from setting aside time for the Lord. Is it your phone? You know, is it the other stuff? You know, I'd rather do Netflix, one more chapter of this really good book, you know, even like household chore stuff, stuff that you need to do. How funny is it? I'm assuming I'm not the only one here, but that you sit down to maybe do some concentrated Bible study time and immediately the thing comes to mind is like, oh, I really need to switch that load of laundry. Or man, when was the last time I dusted my baseboards? Or did I put them meat in the freezer or is it still in the fridge or what's for dinner? I mean, seriously, our brains do not turn off. That can't just be me. But you can tell from my list here that this might be a bit of an issue for me. But be honest about the distractions and then set yourself up for success. You know, maybe leave your phone in another room or heaven forbid, turn it off for 15 minutes. The world's not going to end. I know I say this stuff to myself as well, but it's just not. 
you know, or go to a room where you won't have to look around much to see all the things you have to do. Like kind of be intentional about maybe even where you do your quiet time. If you're really prone to distractions, maybe you do need to go in your closet with a little reading light or something that you could only see what it's shining its light on on the page. Maybe you need to do that. That's cool. Do it. For me, this is one of the reasons why I really do love the early morning. I said earlier, it's really too early for me, like for the rest of me to even dream of doing anything very productive. So laundry, no, that's not going to work out. When all of those things are a distraction is if I have waited till later in the day to plug into the word, then that's where I get all kinds of distractions. But this is what I think is so awesome about the early morning. I'm just I'm just not even with it enough to even possibly think about what the to-do list is. I'm not high functioning enough for that. And it's actually really, really quiet in my house in the early morning. And that's, I just, for me, I really need that. It's also that too early. Nobody's calling, texting, or emailing at 5 a.m. They're just, they're just not doing that. If they are up when I'm up, they're at least having the decency to not call or text because, you know, most people are sleeping during that time. But figure out what it is for you and how you can set yourself up for success in that because that will be huge. Maybe you need accountability. Maybe you need to text a friend every morning when you're done. And it doesn't even have to be a lengthy text. It could just be something that it could even just say done. You guys could talk about what your what the rules are going to be. And you guys are going to just text each other when you're done and make that plan. But maybe you need some accountability. Maybe you just need a plan. Now, here's where I want to pivot just a little in this, because I want to chat about the study piece of devotions or quiet time or whatever it is you decide you want to call it. Joshua 1.8, the Lord told Joshua to not allow the book of the law to depart from his mouth, but to meditate on it day and night. It's a big one, elevating our knowledge and study of scripture. So I don't want this to sound or be sound crazy mean. So trust me when I'm saying this is just as much a challenge to myself as I hope that it is for you, because this is an area I just am increasingly concerned about. But I wonder are we just flat out lazy about our time with the Lord? Yeah, nobody wants to say that, yeah, I was just lazy. But sometimes I wonder if that's what it is, guys. Like if we're being real honest with why we aren't actually digging into scripture, is it why? Why? I think we'll talk about a couple of things that it could be, but sometimes I wonder if it's this first one right here. Are we just being lazy? You know, a devotional with a verse on the top of the page and then a couple paragraphs about you or something that makes you feel warm and fuzzy, that is not studying God's word. It's just not. Maybe it's a mini hype session, if I'm going to sound kind of negative about it, or maybe it's just a great word of encouragement on the positive side, but it's not studying God's word. That's not Bible study. And that has gotten interestingly something that there are sometimes that their quiet time folks their quiet time can consist of reading their devotional the end i really don't think that's bible study i do think there's some good encouragement there but i don't think that's the study of the scriptures and i'm not hating on all devotionals here i'm really not i have some that i love mine typically are written by dead guys I know that sounds odd, but for lots of reasons. But one of them is that I think the dead guys, and when I'm saying that, I'm meaning that Spurgeon, Oswald Chambers, the contributors that are in Streams of the Desert, because that's a whole bunch of, of authors and poets and different things like that. But I think 
those old guys, they kind of, they understood something about suffering and a non-feel-good Christianity that I think is kind of foreign to us. And I, and for me, I feel like I need to tap into that a little bit more. They have a perspective I just don't have in our current and modern culture. So I do use devotionals sometimes, absolutely. It's not a daily thing for me, but I do like them. But it's not Bible study. There's a difference there. And here's the thing. I think because we've told ourselves we're too busy or whatever the thing is that we're allowing to keep us from our time with the Lord, we have become, largely speaking, lazy and apathetic Christians. And this is big and this is a danger because what are the ramifications of that? What do we see of that around us in our culture? At the beginning of the podcast, I talked about I talked about folks that deconstruct the very their very faith in Jesus and walk away from a religion that, you know, is not based on the truth of God's word. How did that happen? I mean, guys, it happens in so many stories right now. It is not hard to find somebody who has done this deconstruction thing and walked away from their faith. How did that happen? And I think that part of it could be this lazy Christianity that first didn't surrender to God's word, elevated as the standard and conformed their lives to it. I mean, that's there's just a piece of not knowing the book, you know, to avoid this. You've got to be in the word, studying it, meditating on it. There's just not a shortcut for this. Howard Hendricks said, you are either in the word and the word is conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ, or you are in the world and the world is squeezing you into the mold of itself. This is where we see Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. There's a choice here, though. We either are going to be in the word and let the word change us, renew us, and be conformed to it, or we're going to do the, uh, the other side. We're going to be in the world, and the world will squeeze us into the mold that it wants us to, to be in. So I just don't see a shortcut to being really in the word and growing in your knowledge and study of the scripture. I think that's really important. In contrast, we love theology in 280 characters or less. We love a pithy so-called insightful quote that a person says that kind of dictates our theology for us. And this is a huge mistake. We like the Instagram meme. We like to keep it short, right? We, let's just, you know, we're busy, right? We're flipping through. Let's just see what we got. We've trained our brains, I suppose, to believe the lie that we just don't have time for anything else. You know, we just need to hit that devotional real quick. We're going to read our couple Instagram people that we follow, and they're going to say something really insightful and it will really provoke us to thought. But supposedly, we don't have time for anything else. I think that's just another lie of the enemy, because again, he wants to distract us. He wants to keep us, hinder us in any way possible from what we are doing. But here, that's where we've been, right? There, There is no shortage of whether it's, um, and, and good sites. I'm not even saying these places like Instagram, some of the people that I follow, they'll say some great stuff. But just don't substitute that with going, oh, that's where I'm going to get my theology from. That's where I'm going to get solid Bible teaching from. Nope, you got to do that on your own in the scripture. Because how has this worked out for us? And I'm going to say not well. I think that's probably understatement of the year. But I know, you, you know, we like to pat ourselves on the back for how advanced and technologically savvy and sophisticated we've become. But I do not think that we are richer, deeper in our theological position because of it. Because I'm super fun. I was uh, watching a documentary on John Wesley the other night. I know. I'm just super fun that way. But 
and you, you, saw, you see someone like a John Wesley and you think, man, you know, that's another age. And you read about these preachers of old and how they were schooled as kids was predominantly just in the scriptures themselves. There wasn't like extra reading material, really. It was really the Bible. Um, church was an all day thing then. And quiet time devotion was almost more of a lifestyle. And I, and I also don't want to elevate these guys, these men of old so much because, yes, they were sinners and they got distracted, I am sure. And I'm sure they got selfish with their time. But there are some things that we can glean about, you know, this age old time. And I think there's some things that we can learn on this. John Wesley, he had said, whether you like it or not, read and pray daily. It is your life. There is no other way. And that kind of made me think about, too, like, what is our attitude towards our quiet time or our devotional time? Because, you know, earlier we talked about, if do you just dread it? Or do we see it as how necessary it is? Martin Luther said, he would say that I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. What a contrasting statement to what we think. We think that, oh man, I'm way too busy today. I don't have time to, you know, do my Bible study today. I don't have time to do this. I got to get going. And he would flip that and he would say, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. That's interesting. Looking at our calendar for the next day and go, man, this is slammed. Normally I would get up at 530, but you know what? I better get up at five because there's a lot going on tomorrow. Interesting. Interesting perspective. That is a big distraction that the enemy throws our way, that we're just too busy. And there's no shortage of quotes of people saying, if you are too busy to have a quiet time, then you are too busy. Something needs to go. Back in that documentary I was talking about with John Wesley, it was talking about his mother, Susanna Wesley. So the two most famous Wesley children are Charles and John Wesley. But she had a total of 19 children. I believe only 15 of them actually survived to adulthood. But that's a lot of kids, guys. And I don't care who you are. That is one busy day. And they talk about how in the middle of her busy day, she would just sit down in a chair and she'd pull her apron up over her head. And that was her quiet time. And all the kids knew, do not talk to mom right now. She's praying. She is praying. She is having her quiet time. That's what quiet time looked like to Susanna Wesley. She had 19 children, guys. That's one busy lady. We can make time. We can make time to talk to the Lord. We can make time for this quiet time. But is this time that you're spending with the Lord? I've said it a couple of times. Is it this regular time? Is it delight or is it drudgery? Psalm 37, 4 tells us to delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Do you look forward to your daily time with the Lord to pray and grow in your knowledge of who he is? Or is it just kind of a checkbox? off my daily, I'm a Christian calendar, and so I need to do this and check it off, and and we're good. It should be and needs to be way more life-changing than that. And I'll just say, before you like get way down on yourself going, okay, well, I'm not any of those things about my quiet time, Amy. That's not what it looks like for me. I would say the first part is just to pray right now and ask the Lord to change your heart about your time with Him. Pray Psalm 37, 4. Lord, help me to delight myself in you, knowing that you will give me the desires of my heart. He will meet you and he will show up in those times in such a fulfilling way that you will just be amazed. But just pray and ask the Lord for that. If that's not the spot that you're in, honestly, I, I don't shame anybody for that. We have all been in those seasons 
We just need to honestly go to the Lord and we need to ask him to meet us in that and help us in that. So to close, a couple things. Where, where am I going with all of this? You know, the first part we talked about, you know, that self-assessment. Walk around your fixer-upper a little bit and check out the walls that need knocked out. Check out maybe, am I just reading a devotional quick, real quick and moving on? I would even challenge you to go, what kind of devotional are you reading? Because I think there's some out there that aren't even the encouraging piece. There are some that just you probably should just stay away from. For me, sometimes that's why I love the safeguard of just being in the word itself, because that I know I can trust. And so if you're questioning like, oh, I'm not real sure if this is a devotional I should be spending time in or not, just set that aside and just spend time in the word. And I think the Lord will reveal to you the things and help you to discern if that's something that you should be spending your time in. But do a little self-assessment and figure out, you know, what wall needs knocked down? Where does the ugly carpet need to be pulled up and actually do some changing? The second thing I would say is, guys, this is something we just have to be disciplined about. And nobody likes that word. I totally get it. But I guess the word that I have for you and for me in this that, yeah, I don't really want to. I don't really want to be disciplined. I'm just going to say, suck it up, buttercup. Let's do it. Make your time with the Lord meaningful, stretching, and make it a priority. Do it. It's a discipline. Proverbs 12, 1 says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Anybody want to be in that camp? Nope. That doesn't sound very fun. 1 Corinthians 9, 27, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Okay, I don't want to be in the stupid category, and I don't want to be in the disqualified category. Galatians 6, 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Some of that is that bank account idea. Saving up these things, this time in the word for that day when you're going to need to take them out. And and what does that practically look like, guys? Like, Because here's the thing. Unless you're just like super smart, which I bet there's a ton of you guys that are. But for me, if I am sitting with just reading my Bible, and if afterwards I don't write down something that I pulled from there, either whether I'm writing a note in the margin of my Bible, because yes, I am a Bible marker. I love writing and pulling out the things that I see in there or a cross reference or something. But for me, I've got to have something down that I actually write in addition to just reading. But keep plugging away. Don't give up in that. Just a couple ideas. Maybe you need a little bit of a change up. That's totally good. It's a lie of the enemy that we can't do real uh, quiet time study with the Lord and his word. And, you know, you're going to fail. You're going to get a bad grade. See, all these things, when you say them out loud, they sound really dumb. But I think we believe it sometimes. I think we think, well, I I better not start that Bible study because what if I can't finish it? So I better just better not even start. Or maybe you're in a dry season and you're just struggling you know, a couple things. Start with worship in that. Maybe it's actually, you know, worship songs that you play. Maybe it's even what you set your alarm to wake up with. The Find a worship song that is just biblical and is directing you in a good way. Maybe you start with that. Or did you know you can worship by praying scripture? We did this as a fam last week, and it was so cool. Psalm 119, 33 through 40, just one example. That's the one we did as a family. It's just a section of scripture that you can just pray that, pray those words just in just little short sentences. Maybe even do it out loud. Because guys, if it's quiet in your house, everybody else is sleeping. Nobody even cares, right? Or you don't have to do it out loud. Maybe you could just read that section of scripture, but be praying them back to the Lord with an attitude of worship. Maybe write your prayers out. 
maybe when you're up early or when you're praying, you start praying and you seem like you're doing really great and then you kind of get derailed and all of a sudden you're thinking about what's for dinner again. So maybe write them out. I do that often, just writing out the things that I am thinking and talking about with the Lord. Write out scripture. Write out scripture. Again, I think it's guys because I think I'm getting dumber with age for sure. But writing out scripture helps them to stick with me. The other day I was thinking about sermon notes. I was actually in church and I had my page of notes that I was had from the sermon. But I was thinking like, how cool would it be to actually go back over your notes? If I could see you all out there, I am willing to bet there are very few of you that can raise your hand and say, yeah, I actually go back over my sermon notes during the week and those scriptures and stuff. I don't know why we don't do that. Probably the enemy right there. But that might be a challenge. Maybe just how simple is that? You don't need to go buy a new book or you don't need to go buy anything. You could just get a piece of paper and go back over your sermon notes and maybe just write out the scriptures that were covered. Just those. Just praying those. Lord, what would you show me out of these scriptures? And it might even be something that takes you in a completely different direction than maybe even what the sermon was about. But that could be cool. And you could be really studying the word. Maybe you need to get into an actual Bible study. I love these, but don't use this as like, well, if I can't get into a formal, like absolutely structured and organized Bible study, then I can't do Bible study. Nope, don't do that. That's just an excuse and we don't want to be about that. But maybe that would work for you. Maybe you've never been into an actual organized Bible study and you're like, yeah, I think I should try this. It could just be the accountability of it that could really help you. It could help you with just having a plan, you know, just like all of my the Bible reading plans that I love so much, but actually having something that you're working towards. We're doing Galatians at Athe Women, and maybe you want to jump into that, or maybe you don't want to do that one. Maybe you want to grab one nineteen Psalm 119. We did a Bible study on that. You can grab that book. But don't also, I love doing that, but I also just don't want to tell people that if you don't have an actual book to get into or something to guide you through that process, then you can't do it because that's just not true. You need the Bible. That's what you need. But I think what I'd leave you with here, guys, is just don't settle on this. Just do not settle for a meme or a devo to deceive you into thinking that that was your devotional time. That was your quiet time. That was your morning watch. That's just not it. If you got some thoughts on this, email me at devotedpodcast at athecreek.com or you can also message me at athewomen on Instagram. But if you've got some thoughts or if you've got some ideas for some other women on this that could help us all out in this, I'd love to hear them. Maybe we can throw them together up on an episode or I can put up an Instagram post or something like that on that. But we'd love to hear from you on that. So follow us at athewomen. If you don't already, you can follow along that way. I will be back next week. Have a great one. Thank you for tuning in to The Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of Athey Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at atheycreek.com.